Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we're going to talk about an endo horror story. My favorite kind of horror stories. <laughs> the most graphic and terrifying kind of horror story. We're going to talk about a hilarious, but not at the time, but will be hilarious today. Mortifying at the time, hilarious now. Endo flare that I had in public. And then we're going to talk a little bit about self-compassion. Because I think for me, there's nothing worse than having an endo flare in public because that makes it an endo horror story and that's horrifying hence the name endo horror story did the name give it away (laughs) it's so vulnerable and scary and traumatic to have excruciating pain in public to not be in a safe space and i've talked about this in the past but for me it makes me feel so ashamed and less than and inadequate and it's very traumatic I've had a lot of endo horror stories, so this is like, this is number one. And in a few episodes, we'll do number two. Of 7,000. <laughs> Episode one of five billion. <laughs> I love it. And so over the years, I've learned to have this self-compassion. So we're going to go, after we talk about the horror story, into what is self-compassion and how do we practice it and how is it useful to us? Because it's very useful. Especially in an endo horror story. So if I had to give a name to this endo horror story, I think I would call it Muffling My Screams in a Public Bathroom. Wow, what a hook. I'm so hooked on this. I need to know what happens now. Or would I call it Crawling Down the Sidewalk of Taiwan? Okay, yeah. All right. Definitely hooked. I'm 100% (laughs) like, I need to know what happened. (laughs) What happened? I need to know. (laughs) Well, it involved endometriosis. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, duh. Hello. Before we get started with today's topic, I wanted to invite you all to contribute to our podcast and to our community. There's a couple ways you can do that. And the first would be to leave us a review. You can do this on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever app or system you use to listen to our podcast. We love the reviews that you leave us. So thank you to everybody who's already left us one. Another thing that you can do that's really helpful would be to share us on Instagram or other social media. The more visibility our podcast gets and the more our posts are shared, the easier it is for other people to find the information and to join this community that we've created. The third way that you can contribute is by supporting us financially. It does cost money to run the podcast, so if this is a way that you would like to contribute, we'd be so grateful if you bought us a coffee. You can find that information on our website, which is in 16years.com, on our support page. I think I mentioned before, but I lived in Tokyo for four years. And one of the reasons being is that it was it was actually just so much easier to live with a lifestyle abroad with my illness than it was to live in the U.S. The food was healthier. You take public transport, so you're not in the car all day, so you get a lot of exercise. You walk around. And then additionally, this is what made it. I was an English teacher, and I actually worked at a school that was like a two-minute walk from my house that was split shift. So I got to go home and nap in the daytime and eat my food at home and be on my own toilet when I had diarrhea. That's a luxury, honestly. (laughs) No, you know what is a luxury? That in Japan, digressing for a minute. But interesting fact that in Japan, if you being tired is a sign of you're working very hard. It's a cultural thing. So at the time I had pretty bad fatigue. And so I always needed to take a nap. I need to put my head down on the desk. And guess what? 
culturally acceptable. Yes. Oh, my God. I could literally take a nap at my desk in between classes or I could go lay on a cot in the nurse's office. And you know what? People said to me, let's go to some of this stuff. You've been working so hard. <laughs> yes, I have. Yes, Endo has been working me real. But they didn't know that, right? Yeah. So it's just like, yes, yes, I work so hard making games for the children and grading papers. <laughs> but really, the inflammation is what's keeping me up. You really, know? my dragon is running circles inside <laughs> really? me. Yeah. But. So I was a teacher. It was summer break, and I decided to go to Taiwan for a week by myself. It's just a few hours. Very easy to get there. So hopped on a plane. I went to Taiwan. I wanted to see all the temples. And little did I know something was lurking. Unsuspecting me. (laughs) So I want to mention that I did meticulously plan my trip around the arrival of my red dragon or my period. Henceforth to be known as red dragon. But I did look on the calendar. I was like, oh, great. This is my safe week. It was like smack in the middle of the last period and the next period right in the middle. It was day 14 to 22 or something. And I usually get it every 28 days. I was like, this is very safe. Why on earth would you come after two weeks? Why? You wouldn't do that. That (laughs) makes no sense. (laughs) You're so naive. (laughs) I know, Brittany. I know. I know. I was hopeful. I was hopeful. Yes, you were were optimistic. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to go on a trip. I'm going to go to Taiwan. It's going to be perfect timing. I'm going to see the ocean. So on that fateful day, naive, unsuspecting me was sitting by herself in a restaurant. Very relaxed, might I add. Enjoying her vacation, first day of vacation, first day of vacation. (laughs) Way to start out a vacation. Day number one. But I got an airplane. So Red Dragon was like, what happened? (laughs) Not even in the different time zones. Same. I mean, seriously, same time zone. Literal hours away. (laughs) But okay. So there I was in the restaurant and I just ordered and I was all excited. I was going to eat my food and I had to go to the bathroom. So I went to the bathroom. Everything was cool. Went pee, wiped. <gasps> Unlucky surprise! What on the <laughs> earth? Why is that Charlie Bear? Red? You just got the worst prize in the whole entire prize machine. <laughs> I don't understand. When I wipe, it's not. There's not supposed to be anything on the papers. Why? Why is this paper red? Well, guess what? Guess what I got? Red dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Red Dragon showed up on the first day of my vacation. And when it wasn't supposed to, on day 14, he was just there. He was all like, oh, you're in Taiwan? He wanted to sightsee. I want to come too. I heard Taiwan is beautiful. I want to see the temples. (laughs) I want to see the city. He's selfish. That's what he is. He has FOMO. He doesn't want to miss out. He's like, you can't (laughs) be there without me. I need to be there too. What were you thinking exploring and adventuring without me by your side? Well, I don't know what I was thinking. I should have bought. I should have. You should have invited him. Then he wouldn't have showed up unsuspecting. I should have bought him a plane ticket yeah. next to me. I should have got him his own. He would have felt way more included. Hostel. And then he wouldn't have been so mad and angry and mean. It's true. Then we crashed the party. Anyways, I was in the bathroom. Obviously, total panic mode set in. I was like, oh, okay. Be cool. Assess the situation. You need to soak up the blood with something. You need to get to your prescription painkillers and you need to get out of there right now and get to a safe space. So by the way, at that time, I still was taking prescription painkillers because I hadn't got all like intolerant to them yet. They were the best things ever. I love I love. They hadn't started damaging your insides yet. I mean, <laughs> no, they, they probably they were, had, but, it, but you hadn't noticed yet. But the benefit was more than the, than the, the damage. Yeah, yeah. The, it outweighed it. My prescription painkiller, thankfully, I brought with me because I had learned a long time ago I should bring it wherever I was. Although, I don't know why it wasn't in my purse. In that moment, I could have just popped it. Because you were young and naive and hopeful, <laughs> full of dreams of having an adventure in Taiwan without Red Dragon. So naive. Oh, yeah. Well, I had an adventure. <laughs> oh, yes, you did. <laughs> I had no pads. I had no tampons. I had nothing because I wasn't expecting to get my period. And so I was like, oh, my God. And not only that, but I have to go to the pharmacy and I have to get something. It's going to take even longer because for me, the amount of time between the blood and the debilitating pain, it's seriously, it's like 10 minutes. (laughs) 
it's like the blood starts and I literally blink and then the debilitating pain comes two or three minutes later. So I was like, I need to get out of here, right? Like it was like a bomb was ticking in the movie and you're counting down and it's like T minus three minutes until the explosion. You're like, oh my God, I have to cross the town. I got tampons and pads. I have to get there in three minutes. How can I do it? You better stop freaking. You better start doing. (laughs) Yeah. So I did. I came out of the bathroom and I went to the cash register. They hadn't even brought my food yet. And I don't speak Mandarin and he didn't speak English. And I would just pulled out my wallet and I just took out, I don't know, like, let's say the equivalent of 20, just threw down the cash. And he was just looking at me like, oh, uh, but your food and talking to me. And I just put up my hands all frantic, kind of like, no, 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 no. And then I just threw down the cash, and which was more than enough. And I just ran out. Sir, there is no time to eat the delicious food that I ordered. Maybe I can come back another time, but I gotta go right now. Now, luckily, in a lot of these countries, you can hail a taxi so easy, right? Quick, super yeah, quick. Don't, you don't have to order Uber. You just go out on the street. And Raise your arm up. <laughs> and, there, and there's that taxi. I'm like, oh, thank you, sweet savior, my taxi. So I got in the taxi. And I showed them the address to the hostel. And I was like, okay, we're just going to drive to the hostel. And when I see reading close and I see a pharmacy, because there's usually pharmacies on not every corner, but. Pretty frequently. Pretty frequently, yeah. yeah. So it's like, okay, and when I see a pharmacy, I'm going to just stop and I'm going to get out and I'm going to go in the pharmacy because I didn't know how to say pharmacy. I didn't have an address for one. So whatever. So I got in the taxi and then we were driving and we were getting close and I was like, a pharmacy! Thank God! And I got out of the taxi and I went to the pharmacy and I bought a bunch of pads, these like huge diaper pad things. And then I came out of the pharmacy and that is when the pain hits. It came in like a wrecking ball, (laughs) sledgehammer, right to the uterus. (laughs) Well, I always get pain in my back. Jackhammer in the back (laughs) muscles, yeah. It's not good, Randy. It's not good. And by the way, when the pain hits, that's when the intestine starts to spasm. And the bladder does, too. Because the bladder likes to copy the intestines. The, oh, of course. It's a copycat. <laughs> the bladder's yeah. like, oh, the intestines want to... It's like it. the little sibling, so it does everything <laughs> the older, bigger sibling does. Oh, the intestines want to let loose everything inside of them? Me too! Yay! I want to be like my big brother! Yeah, I'm like, absolutely. no, no, don't be like your big brother. He's a... Be your own person, bladder! Terrible model, okay? <laughs> be yourself. Find the courage to be you. It's like, no! I don't want to be! <laughs> so I was about two blocks away from the hotel, I was faced with this choice because I was like, literally, I need to go to the bathroom right now. Like, right. In this, this moment. Immediate second. Like, right now. And I looked around and I was like, no, where's that taxi? They always taxi. I don't understand where this taxi. There was no taxis. Nothing. I don't know what to do. I started walking towards the hostel thinking, okay, when the taxi goes, I'm going to hail it. And even though I'm going to go like five feet, I'm going to get in the taxi. I'm going to point to the corner. There, at the end of the block. I know I'm halfway through the block, but please, just the end of the block. Just get it up. Pay you $100. I don't care. Just get me there. Just please get me there. But no taxi came. And I was like, I need to go to the bathroom right now. I don't know what to do. And there was a sign for the metro. And the metro was on the corner. So I just went running into the metro. Then I had a little metro card. I swiped it, went through, and went into the bathroom explosions, all kinds of figurative and literal. (laughs) (laughs) Many, many orifices, including puking, just Mm -hmm. like total explosion. Everything that was in is coming out. But the really nice thing in a lot of Asian countries, which is not true in America, is the bathroom stall goes all the way to the floor. All the way to the floor. (laughs) There is Uh, European countries like that too. Oh, really? No cracks at all. Literally, I could at points... I mean, it's not very big, but I was in a ball on the floor puking. And if you were doing that in a U.S. toilet, people Everyone would, would know. people would see because they can see, what, a foot and a half, right? Yeah, of- like floor to the floor stalls have been my saving grace in like the U.K. because it's like a little room. It's like a little private room. It's to die in. <laughs> <laughs> Total privacy. <laughs> oh, my God. Then they come out. They're like, why is that stall all dented in the wall? <laughs> And it's shaking just, and there's banging there's and blood it's everywhere. Did <laughs> someone die? Yeah, I did. I'm going to leave now. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I hulked out for a moment, but we're good. We're going to crawl to the top of the stairs now. <laughs> Sorry about shattering the ceramic toilet. I <laughs> feel so bad for the cleaning people. <laughs> that blood spatter on the stall wall. I did my best. I, I really did. I really tried. <laughs> 
So this is all funny now, you know, but in the moment, this was so traumatic. And I have to admit, this was a moment that it took me, it took me time to get over it because this felt, this was a really traumatic moment for me. So I was in the stall and I was sitting on the stall and I was evacuating my bowels. Well, that's how we'll call it. So you mean having incredible painful intestinal spasms that made you sweat and want to scream in pain while also making you nauseous and actually vomit? Spot on, Brittany. Oh, thanks. (laughs) As many of you are aware, going to the bathroom, and especially on my period, on my period, just made me like scream out. And I was literally in the bathroom in my little private safe space with my hand, my actual hand covering my mouth, muffling. And I was trying so hard not to scream. And I was in with my hand like, "Mm." literally it hurt so bad. I could not not make noise. And so I was gripping my hands to my, I mean, does this sound, is this traumatic? It was, yeah, it I'm was, sure people can relate. <laughs> but what I love is that in Asia, people are very private. So no one, I'm sure people could hear me. Like, trust me, I was not, I mean, I wasn't like making a huge scene, but it was very we're clear. silent. That, it was very clear that something Something bad was happening. <laughs> I don't something know what they brewing. I don't know what they thought was happening. Like, Probably that you were like getting stabbed or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they what they thought. But I mean it was clear that something was happening, but no one knocked on the door, no one and no one bothered me. And that was really that was really nice because yeah. No explaining yourself to anyone. <laughs> oh, what a relaxing thought. No explaining yourself to anyone. After like 30 or 40 minutes of being in the bathroom and Obviously, the pain is, for me, the pain lasts without a painkiller. It lasts for pain like that where you're like screaming, go to the ER. Lasted for like five hours. I was like, I have to. It's not going to get better if I stay in the stall. So once I felt like I had vomited and I had. Once everything was out. <laughs> my bowels. And I probably need to do more. But once I felt like I could actually like walk maybe without pooping myself, I was like, I have to get to my painkiller. And a bed. <laughs> just a painkiller. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I just need a painkiller shoved in my mouth. I need it. And so then I looked around and I was in the stall with these peach walls. And I was like, what? I was so confused at that point. I was just like, everything was so overwhelming. It was so confused. I was dehydrated. What am I doing in here? How did I even get in this bathroom in the metro? I bet the brain fog kicked in during that moment and it all begins to feel like you're in a surreal nightmare. <laughs> Also, the dread, the panic, the realization of you have no idea how you're going to get out of here in the state you're in. You may have to live in the bathroom for the next three days, get a tent, camp out. Maybe this is your new hostel, actually. Can you imagine you order takeout of the bathroom stall? (laughs) You call them. You're like, oh, hello. Yes, I would like to place an order. I'm in the ladies room in the metro on the corner of first and fifth. You're going to have to swipe your metro card to deliver the food to me. But don't worry. I'll cover the cost of the metro swipe in the tip. And I'm in the second stall from the door. If you're still unsure of where I am, it'll be the stall with the whimpering, screaming, sobbing, and vomiting. Don't mind the vomiting sound. I'm still hungry. Just ignore the vomiting. (laughs) Honestly, I was really concerned about how I was going to get out of there. I was going to have to leave my safe, private bathroom stall and then cross a crowded metro exit area, get up the stairs to the street, walk a block that's like at least 50 to 100 feet to the hostel. I just remember being in the stall, looking around those four safe peach walls and thinking, oh my God, how on earth did I get here? Why did I bring myself here? What was I thinking? Well, I think you were thinking you were about to poo yourself. So it was a smart choice at the time. I was so smart back then, but not now. (laughs) (laughs) Smart in a relative way? Can anyone teleport me out of here? Oh, I wish. So, Brittany, I took a deep breath. I bore down one last time to see if any last poo was there, and there appeared that there wasn't. So then I clenched the anus. (laughs) (laughs) And I got the courage to get out of there. A triumph. I was like a third determined, a third panicked and desperate, and a third frenzied to get to my beloved painkiller. So I decided I'm going to get out of the bathroom. Somehow. Well, I'm going to open the stall. <laughs> Somehow. But I'm going to be, I was like, but you're going to be cool. 
right? Like you're going to be cool. <laughs> yeah. Again, the naivete. Just, I can't. I have high hopes for myself, Brittany, but I. You set the bar real high. But I, I don't always achieve my I expectations. That. I don't always achieve them. I will admit. Major fail. So I was like, okay, pull together. You're going to pull your pants up, wipe the vomit off your face. You're going to be crying, but it doesn't matter. People cry. And you're going to get out there and you're going to walk. Okay. You're going to quickly. But you're going to walk. You're not going to hunch over. Okay. You're not going to moan. You're just going to, you're going to walk like a normal human being. It's one block. It's five minutes. Come on. You got this. I open the door. I pull my pants up. Well, I, I did that first. I didn't know that. I did that first. I got confused. I, I would hope you did. Oh, <laughs> I my. I pulled my pants up first. I'm saying okay. Asian cultures are very private and you just ruined them. <laughs> no, I pulled my pants up. I opened the door. I walked out of the bathroom. I'll admit I didn't wash my hands. There was no time for that. Time was of the essence, people. Well, in this instance, understandable, because every second is literally working against you at this point. And I literally got outside of the bathroom into the metro and guess, yeah, the pain was like a sledgehammer was breaking my back. And I was like, okay, it's okay. I'll just put my hands. You just start. Yeah, that walk. I'm familiar with that walk. I'll just put my hands on my back. It's totally cool. I had my hands away for like 10 seconds. I was like, I'll just have to hunch over. Just a tiny just a little bit. little hunch. Just, just a little one. Tiny little hunch. After like 30 seconds, I was hunched over like my back was broken. My my hands were gripping my back. I was full on moaning. I was. <laughs> you must have looked like a zombie. <laughs> like the zombie apocalypse had come to the streets of Taiwan. This white girl just I knew like, it would be the white people. <laughs> walking all hunched over. I was like moaning. I was like, uh, with my my hands off. Well, people are avoiding you. People are like, oh, wide birth. Give her a wide birth. She's probably contagious. Oh my God. Wait, is that the Ebola virus? Yeah, I don't know. Scared. We don't know where she's from. We don't know where she is came that from. Contagious? Yeah. Like, it's not contagious. Get the white girl away from us. It's not contagious. It was just so compounded. It was like the language barrier, the cultural differences. But first of all, I was looking at the ground. So I was just like, don't look at anyone. Don't make eye contact. Because you One sidewalk tile in front of the other. I'm sure people were happy. They're like, if she looks at me, I might turn to stone. <laughs> She's a gorgon. Like, yes, Endo does have that power. I mean, I was like, don't look turns at Turns your insides to stone after a while. Cement. There you go. Look down. So, I don't know. I made it up to the street level. There was no taxi. No. I'm sure they probably wouldn't have picked me up anyway, since I really literally need to go like 50 feet. I, the whole time, walked hunch over. I have all my pads in <laughs> In one, like in this shopping bag, hanging off my arm, gripping my back. And I am not kidding. By the time I got to the hotel, I was doing this weird walk. It was like between the cross of like a gorilla and a cheetah. If a gorilla and a cheetah could mesh together, that's what I look like. Wow. I was loping, hunched over, and I was sobbing, but going like <laughs> super fast as I could. It was probably like slow motion. I was going to say, was it like snail pace, but you thought you were a cheetah? <laughs> I felt like I was going fast. <laughs> fast for you and Red Dragon. <laughs> Stop. You know, I was like, okay. <gasps> Dry to breathe. I was like, am I going to vomit? It was like, don't There's nothing here. in there. Please don't vomit. Don't make a seat. You're like already making a seat. You're like, <laughs> too late. Don't make too more. Late. Just don't. Do- it's very clean in Taiwan. You're like, don't dirty this sidewalk. Someone will have to clean it. <laughs> and so I made it to the hostel. Of course, it was up on a second floor. Of course. No elevator. Of course. Because... Your luck. <laughs> That's just how things are. So I was in such a state that I ended up crawling up the stairs. It felt dangerous. I can't walk normally. I'm half hunched over, so I might as well just lean mm. in. And I mean, just I know like, this is like an endo horror story, but I feel like this is like an everyone else normal horror story. You know, you scary movies and the girl like <laughs> crawls up the stairs with her like long black hair over the front of her face. Well, you have long black hair. I'm sure it was over the front of your face crawling up the stairs. I think you... Made people feel like they were in a scary movie. Oh, yeah. I, I'm kind of jealous that I didn't get that, to experience that. Yeah. Did you see that movie that came out, The Grudge? Uh-huh. That was inspired by me. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. The <laughs> Ring and The Grudge were just like, oh, inspired by Amy. <laughs> so I want to note that when you get to the top of the stairs, then you get to, like, the reception area of the hostel where people hang it's out. It's the common area. Yeah. That's where there's couches and computers with the internet, tables to eat at. So basically walked into a full-on... Like a living room with a bunch of people. (laughs) 
So I get up to the top of the stairs. Mind you, I was, at this point, I was crawling, moaning, sobbing hysterically. My face would beat red. I had a bag of pads in my arm, hanging off my arm. And greeted by the very kind hostel staff. The front lobby person. And he was just so cute. And he asked me in English, are you okay, madam? (laughs) How do I answer that? (laughs) Am I okay? Okay. Poor guy is like, I don't know how to help. Yeah, this poor guy was like, um, I thought you were going to come in with a backpack up, with a little map. You'd like, be all everyone like, else. I'm excited to be here in Taiwan. <laughs> Not I'm dying on the street, crawling up to my hostel room. <laughs> like, let me think, am I okay? Well, apart from having been attacked by a red dragon, yeah, I'm just totally cool. He's like, well, dragons are a sign of good luck in our culture, so that's a good thing, right? Uh, <laughs> How do you answer that one? <laughs> depends on your mind. <laughs> well, you know, to be blessed by a dragon is a really great honor. What did you do to deserve that honor? Jean's malfunctioned <laughs> when I was an embryo. That's what I did to get this honor. So this is an unlucky, lucky dragon. So, okay. All right. We've dealt with that cultural bridge now. <laughs> yeah, this is not a good dragon. This, this dragon is not lucky. I made it to my room which I shared with eight people. But luckily no one was in there because it was in the middle of the day, which is prime time to be seen on the sidewalk, but excellent time to be seen in the hostel room because people are sightseeing. They're out doing things that you were going to be doing. (laughs) They're out that I should have been doing and wanted to be doing, but I was not. And I went to my suitcase and I unzipped it. And then because, you know, when you're so frantic, you can't, I was in such a pain, like must, I have to get to this pill. I couldn't find the pill anywhere. I was like, I don't know where I put this pill. I packed this pill. I don't know where the pill is. Literally, I unzipped my thing. I was throwing things behind me. I was grabbing my shirts, my underwear, my socks. My I was just like throwing things behind me. Making a huge mess. Enormous. <laughs> Where's the pill? I even had like a little day pack and like all these things in the suitcase. And I was like searching. They're like, is it in the day pack? Searching all the pockets of everything. Let me guess. You put it somewhere specific, but you had no clue at that time because you were losing your mind. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I knew of you course. well enough. I yeah. put it in my toiletry <laughs> bag in a little pocket that's made for pills. I mean, hello. It was very obvious. <laughs> And, but but I, not to frenzied red dragon brain. I couldn't find it. I couldn't figure it out. It was just like, where is it? So I took the pill. Yes, I managed to take the pill. It was like, oh, sweet, sweet, beautiful pill. 45 minutes. My pain will drop down just one notch and I will not be screaming. So guess who passed out on the floor surrounded by all my stuff, okay, because I wanted to get in the bed, but I had the top bunk. I was like, I'm not getting in that bed. I'm not climbing no ladder. Yeah, and then you got to get out when you have to go poo again. Like, like every, like, yeah, that's 35 seconds. Awful. That's horrible. So I like to just hang out in the bathroom when I first get my period for about five hours. Just yeah. alternate from the just toilet. Bring the computer in there, you know. Get just, some music Yeah, set. just chill in there on the toilet. Alternate yeah. from the toilet to the little carpet thingy mm-hmm. in front of the toilet. Yeah. To the toilet to the little carpet thingy. Yeah. Then it's the cold floor. Sometimes you get hot. Oh, yeah. You're the like, face like, on the cold floor. Yeah. Ooh, you're like, yeah. Ooh, my forehead. <laughs> or if so, you have like a bathtub. I have a bathtub, like cold side of the bathtub. Ooh, ooh yeah. Oh, <laughs> but I didn't want to do it in the hostel. No, no, no. Fair. Because it was not my toilet. That's not so your own it was, scene. It was yeah. scary. So I was like, okay. So I basically passed out with my suitcase open with all my stuff around me. The painkiller kicked in. It saved me. You're so beautiful. I love you. That was the most beautiful. We're from an 11 to a 10 now. <laughs> if I had to rank things that I love in order, I would rank first. Me. The painkiller. Me. And then I would rank <laughs> the painkiller. And then I would rank my kitty. Aww. And then I would rank your other painkiller. <laughs> no, but that painkiller, like, it was such yeah, it's it a was godsend. such a miracle. It just to take pain like that where you actually feel like you're being run over by a car. Ripped apart my with back. Wolverine claws. No, the feeling in my back was just like the nerves were so raw. And then to just dull that. And then you're just like just a oh, little bit helps. I have a dull ache now. So after a couple of hours, I woke up to a very nice man tapping me on the shoulder who was also staying in the hostel room with us. He's the first one to come back. And he was tapping me on the shoulder. And I opened my eyes and that pill made me feel so, so groggy all the time. I was like, where am I? No idea. And he's like, are you okay? And I just looked around and assessed the situation. I was like, 
Am I? <laughs> I'm in Taiwan. I'm alive. <laughs> on the floor. I'm barely alive. Of a hostel. Now it's 6 p.m. People are going to be coming back now. Going to see me. It was bad. And voila. You lived. You survived. Just oh. barely, but you survived. <laughs> so what do you think? Do you, did that sound like? I mean, you had me hooked anything, from start to finish. That was a roller coaster. <laughs> if anything, I like underrated. underplayed it. Yeah, because you couldn't see other people's perspectives. So, <laughs> well, and it's also really—I mean, it's really hard to describe those moments of. It was horrifying, and it was really, really traumatic, and I just couldn't stop thinking about that. I couldn't stop thinking about how I crawled up the stairs in front of all those people, or about how I was walking hunched over like that, gripping my back on the sidewalk. It was horrifying. It was so horrifying and hilarious right now. But in that moment. <laughs> but in the moment, no. And I was alone. I wasn't on a trip with my friends. I didn't have my boyfriend or my friend. or I No didn't support have, system. I didn't have anyone there. At least if that happened, I would, like, let's say I was with Brittany in Taiwan, which would be so cool. Oh, that'd be awesome. Oh, my goodness. But- <laughs> Next time, so you can actually enjoy Taiwan, we'll go. <laughs> I'll call you. I'm like, I'm having a flare fly in. Hurry up. Like, All right. Be right there. <laughs> You'll be there in seven hours, but by the time you get here, it still won't be over. So no. you'll make it just in time for, <laughs> for the good stuff. Just in time for the cleaning up. <laughs> but I was alone. If I had had someone there. I just, I wouldn't have felt maybe so, like I would have had help and I wouldn't have would felt have been so, so scary. It was so scary and I was terrified. Would I make it to the pill? Would I make it back? Would you I don't know. passed out on the sidewalk oh in the metro stop? There are things that could have happened that would have put you in serious safety risk. You well, could have I, accidentally stumbled into the street. Like there's so many things that could have just accidentally happened. Scary. It was bad. I need you. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> Next time I go to Taiwan. And I think my period is not going to come. I'll bring you. Okay. Okay. Thank perfect. you. So we have a we have a game plan. Now. Yes. We have a game plan. Well, you should always be prepared. I mean, like, I just went on a trip, and my period ended the day before that I was supposed to take the trip, and I still brought a full supply of tampons and pads and painkillers because I was like, I'm taking no chances. You never know when the dragon's just gonna be. Like, mm, I'm just gonna join you this time. <laughs> Better to be prepared. You thought I was over, but I'm not. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I do think so. Being prepared is something that I learned over the years is being prepared is key. But that's also one of the reasons why I was so, so all that ended. And you know how I felt towards myself when the pain like had died down. And then I was walking around Taiwan. I was like in these beautiful temples, these beautiful gardens. And instead of contemplating that beauty, somewhat contemplating but you know what i was thinking about imagine it yourself yeah i mean the shame that i felt and also what you said it's like i know from other endo horror stories that happened when i was 28 and i've had things happen when i was 19 21 that will be for other episodes that are even worse i mean if this was bad i'm you're had, in for a real treat this is like <laughs> this is worse okay and so i've lived through moments like this already and i've known in my head you need to bring your prescription painkiller wherever you go and i was just so mad that i didn't have it with me it wasn't accessible it should have been in my purse i should have got my period and then i should have it's gonna be telling me what i should have done i should have saw the blood and i should have popped that pill immediately and I wouldn't have beat the pain, but because the pill takes like 45 minutes to kick in and the pain comes in like five minutes. But I would have already, when the pain came, I would have been already on my way to getting rid of the pain. You know, I wouldn't have been like, I have to get to the pill. And then more time passes and like wouldn't have been so panicked. So today we want to talk a little bit about self-compassion. And... We want to talk about how it's so important to be conscious of our inner voice. And to be kind to ourselves. Well, our inner voice can seriously tear us down the way that I was beating myself up about what happened. Like, literally, if my thoughts had been stones, I would have been stoned to death. (laughs) Because I was so deeply and so violently attacking myself with my thoughts. Our inner voice can be a critic or it can be soothing. It can lift us up or it can just tear us to the ground. And I've been trying to work on self-compassion and being kind to myself, like Brittany said, and not being so cruel to myself. And I think that is really, really hard to do for a lot of us. 
I think one of the first steps towards that is actually taking a step back to recognize big picture that you are in or were in an awful, traumatic and incredibly painful, both mentally and physically, situation. And you're thrown into it and you're doing the absolute best that you can do given the situation that you're in. And nobody gets training in, okay, today we're going to sit down in class and train on how to deal with debilitating pain in public in front of a bunch of strangers on the sidewalk. Wow, we should have I mean, that. maybe we should do a seminar. <laughs> okay, I w- we should do Endo 101. Uh-huh. And this could be one of our lessons. Okay, I like that. So Taught we're... by Professor Amy and Brittany. I like that we're a package deal. Well, duh. <laughs> we compl- I don't think anyone listened to just me or just me. Maybe they just listened to just you, but they wouldn't listen to me without you. <laughs> well, it's like when you feel that wave of shame or humiliation, embarrassment, inadequacy, when you feel that wave just swell up inside of you, it's really important to just tell ourselves that I was in an impossibly difficult situation. I couldn't have done it differently. I couldn't have handled it any better than I did. And I did the absolute best that I could do. It's okay that it did happened I? like that. Yes, you did. No, I did. I Trust me, I... <laughs> and it's okay that I it did. happened that way. It's okay that it didn't work out the best possible scenario that it could happen. If only that taxi had come when I got out of the metro. <laughs> taxi screwed everything. But you didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything to deserve this. Remove the blame from yourself because you're not to blame for the situation happening. And it's really important to allow yourself to let go of that burden because taking the blame is so heavy to carry. Well, I think What you mentioned is really key because I didn't do anything wrong. But the mind becomes so judgmental. Oh, the judge in your head, right? Judger. (laughs) Stop judging me. Judge me. (laughs) But the mind becomes so judgmental because the mind actually wants to protect us from danger. It's a defense mechanism. Thinks it's doing us good. (laughs) Rude. Nobody asked you, mind. Get on board with what I really need. (laughs) But... You know, in the past, there's this danger, this social danger of being kicked out of the tribe or being kicked out of the group and then not being part of this like safety net. Like in the past, we needed the tribe to survive in the world. Like we needed each other to literally give each other shelter, protect each other. For food. Gather. (laughs) For living. Yeah. Like, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. We need each other. And it was so vital. We still do, although... In modern society, we've become very, we've <laughs> we're, become we're a little more isolated now. Much more isolated and survival. I mean, we can be alone and you're not going to be eaten by a tiger. But in the past, we we needed each other. And so this the mind is just like, no, don't do things that will get you kicked out of the group. Everything's about belonging. So I don't know. The mind, it judges you. It felt so terrible. Like what I did just felt so terrible. Like I'm going to be ostracized. And then you do it to yourself. You're like, I'm going to be made fun. I'm going to be ostracized. So then your mind to protect you, it does all of that first, right? It's mm-hmm. like it judges you first. It makes fun of you first. It ostracizes you first. You're like, what are you doing? Why? Just be nice to me. So we have to learn how to be nice to ourselves. Well, and it's always your mind that takes it further than reality will take it. I mean, during that whole scenario, nothing happened. Nobody... <laughs> Did I mean nothing? Nothing external happened to okay. you know. Nothing like nobody, socially. <laughs> yes, nobody approached you and was like, "Ha ha, look at that weirdo." Probably nobody would have done that because they would have seen that it was a serious situation. Yeah, the nobody. Po- like the police didn't come. Yeah, and arrest nothing. Me or nothing seriously socially happened that put you at any kind of risk for you know those things that your brain is judging you for. Everyone's gonna hate me. Everyone's gonna think I'm a freak. I mean, yeah, maybe for one second they thought weird, but you know what? That was one second and they moved on. But our brain keeps that, there's something wrong with me. I'm horrible. Our brain will keep that for days, weeks, years. 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 Years to get over that. And our brains will tell us that everyone else is thinking that. But guess what? Our brain is lying to us because other people are worried about what their brain is telling them. So nobody is thinking about what that experience was like for you. It's just you beating yourself up over and over again for something that's actually 
just made up. It's not real in perception. Your brain's just being a jerk. Silly jerk. I feel like not judging ourselves is... (laughs) Like one of the hardest things you can do is one of the hardest. One of the hardest thing you do as a human being is to learn to not judge yourself. So our brain does it naturally. And I feel like this is really key to, like for me, this has been really key to moving past these. I mean, honestly, that situation that caused so much emotional. Apart from the physical pain in that moment, the physical pain it after like. I don't know, a day and something like the physical pain really went away. Right. But then I had this emotional pain and this emotional trauma that, like Brittany said, lingered for, I mean, it's been like six years. And I still think about that. It's like burned into my memory because it was just it was so traumatic for me. But I think learning to have self-compassion and to be kind to ourselves, I honestly think it makes us into happier fuller human beings because okay when you feel your true feelings without stuffing them down or ignoring them it helps you move past them and i think it makes you more resilient to feel your feelings in the difficult situations because difficult stuff is just going to keep happening in life right like it arises the difficult and we have to face it And we have to face it knowing that we did our best and we have to face it with kindness to ourself. Self-compassion is about being kind to yourself. And I feel like when you're kind to yourself, you can face your real feelings because you're facing them without judgment. So if you're judging your feelings, then maybe you want to pretend or stuff them down. Or, But when you're compassionate, you can just see it how it is. The easiest way to start practicing this I would say is to recognize when you're not talking to yourself in love and compassion and then instead to practice talking to yourself as if you were talking to your partner or your parent or your child or somebody you love very much. Or your your kitty. Or your pet or your best friend, somebody that you love very, very much. I said your pet or your cat child. Okay. (laughs) But the person or pet or fur baby that you love most in this world, just talk to yourself in your mind the way you talk to them. And I don't mean like, oh, I make fun of them a lot. Like, okay, fine. Like Amy and I make fun of each other a lot. But in times of trial, I would never talk to her the way that I would talk to myself, the way that I would judge myself, be harsh on myself. I would talk to her with compassion and understanding and forgiveness and grace. And those are all the things that we should extend to ourselves. So the best way to start practicing that is to, when you notice you're not talking so nice to yourself, is to talk to yourself as if you were talking to somebody else in the same situation, somebody that you love. And that language is often much more understanding and much more compassionate. And you'll really see that there's a big shift in the way that you were previously talking to yourself and how you would talk to somebody that you loved in that situation. And you should love yourself just the same way that you love everybody else in your life. It's like when the cat goes on the counter and you know how cats, they love to like push things off because they just like love to watch it fall on the floor. I don't know why they're obsessed. They want to watch the world burn. They're Total, evil. Total they're obsession evil. with breaking it. <laughs> but they don't realize things are going to break. And I remember like my cat, when I first got a kid, I didn't know much about it. And she would go up on these shelves and she would bat off these handicrafts and like DIY things I've made. And sometimes they would be glass or basically things would break, right? And when she did that, I, if I had done that, okay, like if I had been holding something and I dropped it, I probably would have been like, oh my God, you idiot. You always drop everything. I can't believe how clumsy, right? You would be like mentally attacking yourself. But then I see the cat do it. This is a real game changer for me when I got the cat. This cat is so wise. Change your life. Taught me so many things. I love my fur baby. But then <laughs> you see the cat and she just like, of course they do it a little bit malicious. They like watch you as they slowly. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's doing it on purpose. <laughs> they let's like not, watch you as they like slowly. Yeah, let's not, not give her credit. <laughs> but just because she wants to play, you know? But yeah. anyway, she like, she broke this bottle thing I had with like glitter or stuff in it. And you know what? It was just like, I didn't feel any anger. Mm, oh, darn. I was like, oh man, whatever. You know? And then I just looked at her I was like, I can't be mad at you. You're just so cute. Like, you didn't know it would break. You didn't mean to break it. Like, it was was an an accident. accident. And then you, like, talk to them that way. You're like, mommy's not mad at you. (laughs) You did a cutie pie. At least that's how I talk to my cat. But 
the point is like what a difference in the way that two people, well, a cat and you, you break two people, two people, <laughs> two people break something and the tone and the words, the words and the compassion and the kindness and the understanding are so different. So why are we not giving that same, all that same traits to ourselves, especially when we're going through a hard time? Because living with endo is not easy. And a lot of us have these endo horror stories. I'm sure that you've probably had your own difficult moments where things got really hard. And it's important to acknowledge in ourselves, like, that was really hard. And you survived it. And it's okay. That's the important part. <laughs> and it's okay. Like, however it turned out, it's okay. One of the key aspects about learning to experience self-compassion or practice self-compassion is that it also teaches you to embrace suffering instead of turning away or bottling it up. No, Brittany, run away, run away. No, not going to yeah, do run. it. Mm-mm. If you run away, you're never going to deal with it. And if you never deal with it, it's just going to build up inside until it explodes out of you like you in that bathroom. It'll fester like a wound. Yeah, Ugh. Nobody Gross. wants that gangrenous pain. No. Embrace the suffering. Yes, embrace it because embarrassing things are going to happen. Painful experiences are going to happen. Things will go wrong. People get sick. Humans suffer. That's one part of our human experience. And it's part of being a human. It's part of our experience. No one's immune to it. So if we bottle up the feeling of suffering or the experience of suffering instead of dealing with it, it's not going to help us heal from that suffering. So part of being compassionate towards yourself leads you to look at that suffering and to be okay and be at peace with the suffering and to grow from it rather than letting it take over you. And heal emotionally. Well, it's funny you say that because you remember I said that that man tapped me on the shoulder and I was lying with my suitcase all like looking like disheveled, a, yeah. a mass tornado in the yeah. hostel room. Yeah. Looking like I'd come back like really drunk or something because you in know, the middle of the day. I yeah. don't know how you party. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of fun. I partied hard in that <laughs> bathroom stall crawling down the sidewalk. So he asked me if I was OK and he just looked so nice. He was like an older gentleman. I just kind of told him what happened. and. You know, he just listened really intently and never said anything, never interrupted. Like, he just looked at me and really heard me. It's actually really beautiful. And I just felt really seen and, like, really listened to. And then when I finished, he said that he was so sorry and that sounded awful. And then he opened up to me that the reason why he had come back in the middle of the day, because mostly when you travel you're out sightseeing. Stay out all day. Yeah, yeah, you're not like going back to the hostel and stuff. He's like, when I came back into the room, I saw you laying on the floor and I wanted to ask if you were okay, but I wasn't, he was saying this, but he was in such a bad state that he said that he also passed out on the bottom bunk, but I had no idea because I was passed out. So he confided in me that he has Meniere's disease Basically, it's in his ear, and so it causes him, like, severe vertigo, and he's also losing his hearing. And so I guess he was out looking at a temple, and he got such bad vertigo that he fell down, and he had to have someone help him. Because when you have such bad vertigo, you can't, you can't, can't even, get yourself back you up You literally again. can't yeah. even, like, stand up. And so he said he had some nice strangers, like, helped him get in a taxi, and the taxi driver then went to the hostel, and then the hostel front desk reception came down, and they helped him, like, get up to the hotel room. And I missed the whole thing. I was passed out on the floor. But it really hammered home to me this concept, this universal truth, right? That suffering is, we all suffer. We all suffer. No one is immune to suffering. And we're all suffering in different ways. And so to have the compassion to recognize suffering in others and then to reflect on that and then to bring that compassion that self-compassion back to ourselves like i just think that's so healing and it's also just so good for the world and for ourselves so next time you catch yourself being judgmental or less than kind think of turning that around and about how you can be more compassionate to yourself and more supportive of yourself and more accepting and understanding of the situation you've gone through and 
embrace that suffering. And I think the best part about suffering's not great, but one of the best parts is that it's such a humanizing experience and everybody is experiencing suffering around us and it really unifies us. So turn it around internally and be kinder and gentler and more understanding and accepting of yourself because we have to do it to ourselves because sometimes nobody else will. And especially with a disease like endo, which is very misunderstood by others, we need to accept ourselves so we can teach others how to accept us. Oh, I think one final thing to point out is like learning how to self-soothe, because I think this is important in self-compassion, like breaking the self-hatred, breaking the negative self-talk and learning how to soothe yourself in these difficult situations. Something that I found is really helpful is just when you put your hand to your heart, right? Like, I think we naturally do that. Like, if you're relieved and you're like, oh, like if you're running and you like caught the bus and you like put your hand right on your chest, yeah, yeah, like right, you put it right in the middle of your chest and you'd be like, oh, oh, I caught the bus and you'd be relieved. And so just learning little techniques, like putting your hand on your chest and breathing in and telling yourself everything's okay. It's going to be all right. (laughs) And if you're having these thought patterns, you're like, I'm so stupid or I shouldn't have done that or I'm so useless or just all kinds of negative things that we can tell ourselves, just actively putting your hand to your heart and just telling yourself, you're doing just fine. You're okay. Everything's fine. You're doing the best that you can. Because being mean to ourselves just makes the situation way more traumatic. But being nice to ourselves can really help us heal and move past it. Thank you so much for listening to my endo horror story. <laughs> I actually feel like a, I mean. There's a little weight lifted that you've shared Yeah, that. it's kind of. <laughs> it's very bonding. I mean, of course, we don't hope that you've experienced something similar. But if you have, we would love to hear about it. Because love. Oh, it my It really goodness, does. Love. Sharing it makes you feel like, okay. Well, and it I didn't it, experience it alone when you share it. Yeah, and you just get it off your chest. Shame loves secrecy, right? Mm-hmm. So when you share something and you just tell that shame. Yeah, you just tell it. It's just like, oh, okay, like I'm normalizing this, right? And like, we are big fans of no embarrassment. So we will not uh-uh. judge for a single thing you experience. There's no embarrassment here. There's just healing through working through it and through laughter, of course, as you know, we love to laugh. Kindness, but not at you. <laughs> kindness and compassion. Mm-hmm. We're going to rename ourselves. I'll be compassion. You be kindness, Oh, Brittany. Okay. I like that. <laughs> but thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show today. And we hope that you can find some ways to practice self-compassion. And if you already do, we would love to hear about them. Yeah, let us know your techniques. Please find us on Instagram if you haven't already. It's in 16 years of endo. The website is in16years.com. See you next time.